This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Will you be my Valentine, Emerald? Mm, I'm busy. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be my Valentine? Yeah, go on then. Can you? This is a question. Can you be someone's Valentine without them being your Valentine? (laughs) Unrequited. (laughs) I don't know. I think the general understanding is that it's a two-way relationship. Right. Interesting. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, yeah, I'm this person's Valentine, but they, they don't want to be mine, but that's fine because I like them so no, much. No, isn't it they're your Valentine if you like them, right? It's a mutual agreed arrangement. That well, it's a- I, don't, I don't know. I'm not shaming. I don't know. <laughs> I guess there could be poly Valentines as well and you could have multiple going in all sorts of different directions. Sure. Yeah, will you be my Valentine? Will you, will you, will you pointing in a circle? I'm in a Valentine polycule kind of vibe, yeah. <laughs> a valicule. Mm. What do we think about this nation's politicians using Valentine's Day to communicate <laughs> their various political policy messages? I mean, it's, yeah, which is worse, the like corporate, like you get a notification from Uber Eats being like, <laughs> will you choo choo choose free delivery with premium rates? <laughs> or Stephen Miles saying, I choo choo choose to make trains in Queensland. Yeah. Yeah, the choo-choo is a, that's a favourite, isn't it? I think People we should retire really like it now. I love a Simpsons reference as much as the next guy, but we really, <laughs> we need to move on. There. Chris Min said, are you New South Wales because you're number one to me? Shorten uses it as a chance to flog my gov. Last year he did right. roses are red, my gov is blue, Our my gov app is easy to use. Rolls off the tongue. Very beautiful. Beautifully performed by me. He also this year he went with Call Me by Your Verified Name, uh, as in telling people to verify the names on my gov. And okay. then also one featuring Taylor Swift and Kelsey Travis. But Kelsey Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey or whatever the hell his name is. I don't <laughs> fucking know. Kelsey Travis, either way. Travis. His face was replaced with the My Gov app and it says, You belong with me, my gov. Okay. Hmm. Oh, okay. That's also a Taylor Swift song reference. I understand. I understand. You get it. Did you like any of the Greens of the Greens ones? Did they get a pass for their Valentine's cards? Go on. What did they come up with? Well, so Penny Allman Payne did a bunch of like education-y themed ones, I think mostly. I love you more than a private school loves its publicly funded orchestra. Boom. Good one. Um, the Bridge and Greens as well. There's a council election coming up. They posted a bunch. What if we kissed? In a, in a public urban green space. Or are you a rent freeze? Do you make me feel secure? (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was a bit of, there was Georgie Purcell, the AJP um, MP, had some really kind of obscure or just long-winded ones. Maybe don't be like the Victorian government. Don't take me on a long emotional journey and tell me you care just to ghost me. (laughs) I'm not sure it's something I would like to receive on a Valentine's card, but sure. Yeah, Valentine's Day normally telling you what to not do, I guess. It was, yeah, yeah, I think she's stretching a little bit to get that one in, I'll be honest. Yeah. (laughs) What did she also have? Are you the the greyhound racing industry (laughs) because I'm going to destroy you? What? (laughs) So that's something that some people might say when they're about to have sex. Oh, I see. Yeah. Did you see the Barnaby Joyce classic <laughs> cutout pick him on the phone, on the ground, the meme of, of the last like two weeks at this point saying, I'm fall- I've am i fallen for you? Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Also, it's pretty good. you know, with his love rat, root rat reputation as well, I think it's, I think you should, I think Barnaby I Joyce is probably a good, you know, um, mascot for love because he pursues the heart, matters of the heart quite enthusiastically, I'd say. You know who else does? The Prime Minister of this great nation. Congratulations, Anthony Albanese. Top three stories on the Sydney Morning Herald website right now, all about the engagement, about really? who, who Jody is, how he planned the engagement. It's fucking really? mental. James Masola wrote this huge piece about how he planned it. Anthony Albanese's wedding proposal to Jody Hayden on Wednesday on a balcony under the stars overlooking the green gardens of the lodge was the culmination Boring. of months of meticulous planning. He left well, nothing to chance. you had to, to plan really hard to get on a balcony <laughs> at a fucking, what, oh, you have dinner and you give him a ring? Jeez, if it takes him months of planning for that, I'm fucking even more worried about the future of the country. <laughs> Every little girl's dream, of course, to be proposed mm, to on the- Had to commission a review into, you know- 
whether engagements are appropriate and, and the best way to do it and then kind of ignore most of the recommendations. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty bold policy choice to ask someone to marry you too. Like I'm surprised you didn't it come is. up with a moderate compromise. Between someone them. actually brought that to the 2019 election <laughs> and absolute wipeout. So it's really interesting to see him kind of reheating that that policy proposal, you might say. Yes, well, particularly when his first marriage didn't work out, you think he would have learned from... <laughs> From previous experience, you can't do that again. The pair spent a couple of hours in a private room at the back of the restaurant enjoying a two-course meal, including blue-eyed cod with couscous, saffron, and zucchini flowers. Why am I reading this in the newspaper? This is Why am I reading about two people's dinner in the newspaper? There is a genocide going on. The planet is on fire. (laughs) People are starving on the streets. Why am I reading about the dinner plans of a couple that I do not know? Anyway, time to keep giving it more airtime on our podcast. <laughs> what do you think about proposing on Valentine's Day? Isn't it the most basic bit shit of all time? Yeah, well, I mean, it's more the thing of like, what if your birthday was on Christmas Day? <laughs> that really sucks. It's a similar thing that you don't, you then only have to celebrate one like love day. You don't get an anniversary and Valentine's Day. I'd say it's a bit of a cop out. Fuck, I'm now remembering, I, I believe my brother proposed to his, his wife on Valentine's Day. Now that I think about oh, it. no, that sucks. Yeah, I don't like it. Did you see someone tweeted... I can't remember who who this was, someone who maybe used to work in um as a staffer and was like, say a prayer for the for the libs liberal staffers who are currently searching to de- um to determine the value of the engagement ring. Yes, right. To be like, how out of touch is this man? Because he posted a picture obviously with her thing. She said yes. Well, the SMH hit up a jeweler, I think. He's been known to use some jeweler before. They literally like they're doing gumshoe reporting, trying to figure out where he got this. This ring, mate. Am I going crazy? Like, when is this ever? I guess it's a fresh angle because, of course, no prime minister has been single or not married by the time they get into it. So it's the first thing and he would be the first prime minister to actually have a wedding while he's in office. But who gives a fuck, man? And I'm sorry, this is clearly... I, look, obviously, he wanted to get married. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting in any way that Anthony Albanese proposed to his girlfriend for political expediency. The way they rolled out this announcement, on the other hand, like they're clearly trying to get a whole bunch of positive attention. If Scott Morrison did this, yeah. by the way, Labor hacks would be losing their fucking mind at the media for covering it this way. Oh, but you reckon? Absolutely. Like PR moves. Yeah. Just going from marketing. People hate the curry and everything, and rightly so, but they can't recognize this as a whole bunch of propaganda fluff designed to distract from the fact that, yeah, he's being complicit in a genocide at the moment and is doing almost nothing for people struggling during cost of living. Yeah. It does surprise me that you're saying it's the top story on news websites because I actually wouldn't think that people would genuinely be interested beyond the initial, oh, Prime Minister got engaged, but maybe people are just that desperate for like something nice. The most insane response came from our mate, Tim Wilson. Congratulations, Albo and Jody. Marriage is a fundamental good for society. It promotes oh. mutual dependency and support. And with home ownership first and superannuation second, you have the foundations of prudence, responsibility, and security for life. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> the toast that he gives at, at, like, at his mate's wedding. And they're like, th- thanks, Tim. Um, anyway, um, my sister wanted to say a few words. <laughs> <laughs> they have a long and happy marriage with low tax rates. <laughs> yes. uh, That's the way the Greens work. They, as Paul Keating said, they, they are the fairies at the bottom of the garden. They live in this little wonderland and uh, remote from sort of the real world. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcast. Well, here we are, everyone. It's Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. I'm Tom Ballard. That's Emerald Moon. Both unmarried. Both unmarried, both living in sin. Yeah. Uh, this is an official Greens Party podcast. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week on the show, look who's back, back again, Greens leader <laughs> Adam Bant to chat about the new battle on housing that we're gearing up for and the latest developments on Israel's horrific war on Gaza. Full disclaimer, I am in the <laughs> Qantas Club. This is weird. <laughs> You're sitting in the Qantas Club, so we have to pause every five minutes because they say, <laughs> Our two are lovely, valued, wealthiest members, please, at whatever convenience in yours, allow us to convey you to your gate. <laughs> Four small men will be there soon to carry you in whichever way you should wish. Ladies and gentlemen, we're pleased to inform you that some poor people have been killed. <laughs> um, look, 
I just, I'm flying to Adelaide for the Fringe Festival. Yes, tickets are still available for my show. Not a big deal. We've got a regular Taylor Swift here. Well, I, I'm re- leaving the city because Taylor, the Taylor crowds, the Swifty crowds are flooding in right. and I simply refuse to hang out with them. Of so course. I'm getting out. So I hope everything, everyone can hear everything okay. Apologies for the weirdness. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll muddle through. It'll be fine. We want to say a huge thank you to our new patrons who have signed up at patreon.com forward slash serious danger AU for just three bucks a month. You get bonus content. Thank you, Melissa, Christine, Jarvis, Phil, Beachy, Marcus, Silly Mingers, <laughs> and Mark. <laughs> hey, Mark, have a funnier name, bro. What the hell? <laughs> I like the, I like Mark. I have Mark is enjoying the latest installment of our series on Inside the Greens that looked by Paddy Manning uh, as Tom makes his way through it and, and reads it to me. This most recent one we put out, we're on Chapter 3, which we've got Green Independence. People who, you know, they're green curious, but they're not quite there yet. <laughs> and the Labor Green Accord in Tasmania. Um, interesting stuff. What are your favorite parts so far? Well, I enjoyed that one with the little quote from Paul Keating and revealing oh, yeah. the fact that he hates the environment. Our wonderful hero, Paul Keating, check out this quote. When he took over as prime minister, Paul Keating was reported to have told a staff Christmas party that one of his achievements in his first year of office was putting the environment back where it belonged. Where? I guess being less influential and powerful. Off the agenda. Yeah. What an asshole. Oh, but he had singers, Tom. He had singers. What did he say? Do you slowly. Oh, I'm going to do you slowly. Oh, we're Banana Republic. What a legend. Yeah. Um, Yeah, good chat. They're talking about, you know, what about Brown stuff, Bob Brown law and kind of just taking us back to it's not even that long ago, but the discourse around the gays absolutely cursed. Mm. Um, and what people like Bob Brand had to deal with. That's good. There's other heaps of good stuff on the Patreon that you can get access to. Uh, we watched the Sky News documentary on the Liberals, heaps of other stuff, three bucks a month if you want to go and support the show. And we have an announcement, Thomas. Hey, Thomas everyone Bellison. in the Qantas Club, get excited because we're doing people another live show. <laughs> <laughs> Insights happening right now in the Qantas Club. We should do a live show at the Goddess Club. That'd be great. No, we're doing another live show in Melbourne, in uh, Melbourne. We did one last year for our 100th episode. It sold out like like crazy very quickly. It was fun. We want to do it again, baby. We are doing another show at the Comedy Republic in Melbourne on Saturday, April the 6th from 1.30 p.m. All tickets are just $28, a little bit more than last time, but inflation, blame the Reserve Bank, blame Albanese. It's not easy under Albanese. Serious danger tickets <laughs> keep going up. And it's going to be so much fun. Of course, that is falling within. It's not an official Melbourne Comedy Festival event, but it's happening around the same time as the mm, Melbourne Comedy Festival. It happens Festival. to be, <laughs> yes, in proximity too. <laughs> We'd love you to come along. We're going to get some cool guests, don't you worry, some, maybe some political guests, maybe some comedy guests, whatever. It's going to be a great fun uh, time. We record stuff that you will only hear at the live show and it's going to be a, um, a grand old afternoon, Saturday, April 6th, 1.30 p.m., and tickets are on sale now. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can buy tickets via the Comedy Republic website. Just quickly before we bring on Adam, also wanted to say a few people might have heard around the country um, this week that Amy McMahon, one of the Queensland Greens MPs and former Serious Danger guest and my friend and comrade, an absolute fucking legend, was involved in a car accident this week. Um we so Monday night. It was actually the first parliamentary sitting week back of the year. So this was the night before we meant to go back to Parliament. But Amy was at a free community dinner, one of the ones that the Greens put on. She was leaving that and heading to another community event because she works extremely fucking hard. Mm. Um, and a car basically um, ran into her after running a red light at yeah. pretty high speed. Really serious accident. Um, and, yep, yeah, so she she's in hospital at the moment. Her injuries are not life-threatening, which is incredibly we're really grateful for. Mm. Um, it's, you know, actually pretty miraculous that, yeah, she wasn't hurt more badly. But she's in, you know, she's stable but serious condition and resting in hospital and it's kind of unclear at this stage what the path to recovery will be, I think, with, you know, kind of a knock to the head like that. Um mm. It'll be some time before we know how long till she's back in action, but hopeful that she'll make a full recovery. Just don't know for um, for now how long it'll take. But she, yeah, she is an absolute uh, legend, one of the most hardworking 
people that I've ever met and we're missing her very dearly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, sending out our love and solidarity to Amy and her family and, and her friends. Yeah, and likewise to you guys and the whole Queensland Greens family and, yeah, just, I mean, it was yeah horrific news to read about and then mm. a, a, a scary of relief when we heard a little bit more information about, you know, the fact yeah. that considering how bad the accident was, the fact that she was doing okay was was a relief but obviously still very serious. I mean, yeah, what, what happens in terms of her role in Parliament yeah. and all well, we that just, work? How does that work? Just don't know. So, like, if Michael Berkman this week in Parliament kind of like delivered a couple of her speeches and questions for her. Right. But until we know when she'll be back, it's it's hard to know, you know, just kind of have to reshuffle things, mm. come up with a plan, TBC. Um, but, yeah, I think like knowing Amy, I, I don't know, you know, as soon as she is able to to think and, and, and plan about what she'd like to be doing, I know she's probably being like – let me the fuck back out there. Mm. Um, but, yeah, she really, you know, kind of resting for now, so we'll see. Did you know that in the Queensland debate on those bills, um, our rental reform bills, Amy, uh, who who moved our, our Greens bill, moved a motion that all the landlords recuse themselves from debate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, which really pissed them off. They really did not like that one. I'll be moving that this second reading debate be halted until MPs who are landlords who own investment properties excuse themselves from debate. That's one in three members in this chamber. It's unacceptable to have MPs who directly benefit from skyrocketing rents and lax eviction laws to be allowed to take part in this debate or to vote on this bill. As landlords, you have a clear conflict of interest when it comes to renters' rights. I am a renter. Uh, and she was just like naming all of the landlords in, in, in the parliament. It was fucking fantastic. Fuck yeah. All right, he's back, everyone. Adam Bant, leader of the Greens, back on Serious Danger. Hello, mate. Thanks for being here. Hi. How are you going? Very well. I saw recently that you were giving out free ice cream to the gays at Midsummer <laughs> on the street party. Tell us about that. that. That seems like exactly what the right wing is terrified of, but I love it. <laughs> it was very, very good. It was um, a festival in Collingwood in the middle of um, uh, the electorate of Melbourne and myself and Gab de Vietri, the state member of Richmond, we had we were just like scooping the ice cream out of the, the good old four-litre buckets, but with a twist of uh, edible policy wafers. So you could have sprinkles oh and edible policy wafers. on your, You could have a little rent freeze, you know, Ooh. ice cream, rent freeze, little policy wafer on your, uh, on your ice cream with mm. your sprinkles. Um, that went down very well. It was really good. It was a really good day. Rent freeze. I get it. Like a brain oh, freeze. Oh, rent yeah. freeze. So this is good. Yeah, That's good. That's go. good. Do we incorporating free ice cream into the into the platform? Has that been costed, Adam? How <laughs> much? <laughs> <laughs> we should. We should. Get yes. the parliamentary Thank budget you. office onto it. Ditch the uh, $84 billion to rich people over the next decade and we can buy shitloads of ice cream for everyone. Exactly. Sure exactly. <laughs> um, we wanted to get you on to chat about kind of the probably two two of the biggest things happening in the federal space at the moment being the the housing wars around two and also Israel's ongoing war on Gaza. Um, probably kick off first. Yeah, the the housing stuff is really is heating up again. It seems it's it's half discourse two point Some are saying, and there's been a fair bit of media coverage this week of what the Greens are proposing in relation to the government's help to buy scheme and pushing in particular around tax breaks for property investors. You know, we're still kind of talking, we're still talking about rights for renters and, and capping rents, but really looking at those tax breaks. So the scheme in itself, we want to get into a little bit. We've talked about it sort of on the show, but my my understanding is that the top line is it allows 10,000 households a year to get a special loan the government takes on 30% or 40% for existing on new homes respectively of the mortgage and then they get paid back their proportional capital gains when the property is sold. Can you give us the kind of top line, like what's wrong with that? Sounds <laughs> sounds not too bad. <laughs> well, for 0.2% of the people, renters who are, might be looking for a home, you might get access to this scheme and then still you know, get into the market at very high prices. Mm. For 99.8% of people, you get nothing. And in fact, house prices keep going up. So uh, our view is straightforward. You shouldn't have to win a lottery to buy a home. 
the plan being offered by the government helps 0.2% of people who might be in the market for a home while pushing up prices for the other 99.8%. Yeah. And part of the reason that prices keep going up is that those tax concessions that you mentioned, um, plus just the lack of regulation of the housing sector, means house prices keep going up and up and up. So even if you're lucky enough to get one of these Willy Wonka golden tickets, <laughs> you will end up with a significant mortgage. And for everyone else who misses out, which is the vast majority of people, they will see their house prices go up. Mm, yeah. This, maybe you can clarify for me because I, I've seen kind of different things in different places. Like sometimes we're talking about specifically renters as the eligible cohort, but then I read something somewhere else that said that people who have bought a property before can access the scheme. Maybe that was a misreporting or is it that you you may have bought a property before, but you will need to have sold it. You can't own property at the time of accessing the scheme. The government's just released the legislation and there's not a lot of detail in it. It's left up to the minister to decide mm. basically how the scheme will work. And the um, so that comes in ways of regulations. They've made some public announcements about how it's going to work, but there's um, a lot of these questions aren't answered in the legislation. But the basic principle, is, but one of the things that they have said is that there's some really tight restrictions for the scheme um, to be eligible for the scheme, and for some of them, for example, you're looking. You, you might be looking at uh, in the order of like, what could you get in Sydney, say, for under seven or eight hundred thousand dollars? Which for like, so a are you going to be eligible, and then b the kind of places that you might be able to buy um, are, are just again in many places around the world with house prices having gone up so much in many places around the country, uh, you, you might not be able to find a place near where you. Uh, a work where you study it, mm. like where you actually want to buy. Like, I think part of the problem is that the government. I think they they cooked up these their housing platform in the pre-election environment when they were running a small target opposition strategy. Okay, like that was like back, back then. It was like we've got to get Morrison out at all costs. Um, the election campaign will from Labor will basically be we're not Scott Morrison. Let's run a really so super small target and like get in on that basis and the the plans that they developed back then i they've just totally uh, had no regard to how severe the housing and rental crisis is and in fact it's got a lot worse right it's got it's mm. got a huge amount worse and rents have gone up extraordinarily house prices and mortgages have gone up extraordinarily but they haven't changed their policy the policy is still that same small target policy that they were running before the election and so it basically means it's landing now in a crisis, in a, in a massive, massive housing crisis where a very small number of people might get helped, but everyone else gets relatively disadvantaged. And a big part of what we're um, trying to get across to the government is we think they just have not caught up with actually how serious it is and have not grasped the scale of the crisis. Yeah. Yeah. So like the reason that we say that this is not, like this isn't, isn't a case of us just being like, oh, it's good, but it's not good enough. We're genuinely saying that this will actually drive inflation in the market, drive house prices up because this is not a supply side solution. This is a demand side solution, um, which is the kind of thing that the Productivity Commission has explicitly said is actually likely to make things worse, to push house prices up and not get more people into home ownership. And so, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting having both that evidence and also, as you say, this kind of a, a change landscape, a landscape where it's even worse. And we just had them say, well, they're going to make amendments to stage three tax cuts because, quote unquote, things have changed. Does that kind of create an opening for the Greens to, to say, okay, well, you said things have changed and you're willing to change your policy to respond to the current context. Can you use that to win changes to this um, to this scheme? Yeah, look, it definitely does. And I mean, like the Greens pushed for a really long time around uh, the stage three tax cuts and we were the only ones in parliament who voted against the original plan and said it's massively unfair and uh, it's um, hugely skewed towards the very wealthy at the expense of everyone else and we pushed and we pushed and we pushed and we said this is this is wrong and it should not happen and eventually we got the government 
to the point where um, they realised, you know, it wasn't just us pushing, it was others, uh, many others as well, but the government eventually realised these tax cuts were wrong and so they changed position and they, their justification is that the economy's changed and people are under much more pressure now than previously and therefore they should change their tax settings. And we're really clear, well, if you can shift on uh, stage three tax cuts, then you can shift on the tax breaks that are pushing up the cost of housing as well. Just to, and I want to come back to that, but just on your point that I think is really important that you just said before about how these schemes work and what they do to house prices. Basically, so the government scheme is saying, well, we will give you some extra money to go and participate in the private housing market. The, and the reason that economists are saying, well, that pushes up house prices is that what it means is that someone turns up to an auction with a, the capacity to bid up a bit more, but they're going to be bidding against others, including these property investors who get massive tax breaks for the government. And so what you end up having is a, a bidding war, literally like at the auction, like where people are putting up their hands and raising the prices, knowing they've got a bit more extra money in their pocket. So what does it do, these schemes, when they're designed like this? Well, they push up the price, right? Yeah. And they push up the price then for everyone because uh, the seller goes, oh, well, if I can get that price over here, maybe I can get it over there. So they push up like all, all of the uh, house prices generally. And um, economists are saying that. And the government's response to that is, oh, well, it might do that, but not by too much because we're actually only going to give it to such few people. Like, like that's the government's response. Yeah. Actually, our scheme is really crap, but it's not going to have the effect yeah, that you say it's it is. so funny. Right? I, yeah, they really so, like, kind of put themselves in it. What you're really putting your finger on is, and this is the same problem with negative gearing and capital gains tax uh, concessions as well. And, um, I mean, for those who don't know, this is basically the government saying to property investors, if you go and bid up and stand at an auction and bid up the price of a property to as much as you want, um, when you go and rent it out, you can write your rent off as a tax loss if you're renting it out for less than you know what you're bringing in, perhaps because you, you paid so much for it. That's negative gearing. And then in a few years' time, when you want to sell it, you can get a tax break on the amount of money you've made because property prices have gone up so much. Like you get, um, you get to pay, you get a fifty percent, you, you get a massive discount on um, uh, on selling your capital gains, and so uh, that that whole scheme, those two things together, the fact that you can write off your your um, your losses as a tax loss, plus then you get a tax break when you sell it in a few years' time, just shovels a huge amount of public money into the market that goes into the pocket of these big property investors and they stand there at the auctions and literally just bid up mm. knowing that if they make a loss, they can write it off as a tax loss and then also they'll get um, they'll get a, a tax break when they sell it in the future. And that scheme, I guess, like the government scheme, you chuck more money into it for the bid uh, the bidders and it just pushes up the prices. Mm. Yeah. So the Greens are now, so we're in the balance of power in the Senate like we were on that previous housing legislation because the Liberals have said they're going to oppose the legislation for kind of vague, I don't know, it's socialism reasons, <laughs> uh, whatever that those guys are doing. We have said we will not support your this legislation, this this help to buy scheme, unless you look at negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions. And I think as you've just laid it out, like what's what's really interesting is is finally seeing it, um, seeing those tax concessions pulled apart in the media, but particularly the way that they work together. Because even I hadn't really sort of thought about this in in detail much myself, and it's the fact that negative gearing means that you can deduct the loss on your investment property from your taxable income. So yeah, your, your mortgage cost and any cost to repair the property if you're a really nice landlord, less the, the rental income that you're getting lowers your taxable income, you pay less tax. But the, the kicker is you're still gaining wealth, but we don't tax wealth properly here in Australia. Mm. And in fact, even then when you sell the property and that becomes income, the capital gains, the, the profit that you make, then you get the capital gains tax discount on that as well. And it's like these two things 
together. I mean, the logic's not there. And, and as you say, it's clearly just set up to kind of incentivize this property speculation, um, this profiting of property while some people can't even afford a place to fucking live. And we saw that like like in the data, like when the Howard government introduced the 50% discount on the CGT, that was the biggest jump in Australian house prices in history. I think maybe COVID eclipsed that, but in the early 2000s, in the late 90s, after the late 90s when the Howard uh, government introduced that discount, that's when you saw this massive leap combined with low interest rates as well. But like we, we know that these two policies work together to just, as you say, encourage speculation, get as many investors into the market as possible and sort of outsource the job of housing people to, to the private mums and dads investors because they're making shitloads of money out of it and it's a, it's a wise financial decision. Well, and, just, and also it's the capital gains tax discount. Like it's fundamentally unfair because if you um, earn your money by being a wage earner and turning up to work, you don't get a choice. Like tax gets taken out at whatever the rate is. Yeah. But what's this, what this is saying is that if you earn your income through buying and selling property, well, we'll yeah. give you a discount. It's like yeah. well, that's <laughs> actually that's actually saying that? if you're incredibly rich and you've got lots of lots of assets, we're going to give you more money to go and buy even more. <laughs> like we're going to give you a tax break. And but these tax breaks cost the budget billions of dollars. It's the biggest single line item that Labor is spending on housing in the budget is these tax breaks to wealthy property investors and the very wealthy to go and buy multiple homes. Um, like it's not the biggest spending in the item is not building public housing. It's not, you know, helping with rent assistance. Yeah. It is giving these massive tax concessions in a way that pushes up house prices and overwhelmingly benefits the wealthy. Like all the data shows very, very clearly that especially with capital gains tax, um, the the discounts, the, oh, it's the top 10% that get the overwhelming like chunk of, uh, of the billions of dollars that this is costing. And what we're saying is... Well, you're you're bringing housing legislation to Parliament. You said this is the last thing that you're going to do on housing while you're in power, and you're going to right. you're going to maybe help 0.2 percent of people while pushing up the prices for everyone else while you're ignoring the big problem. And mm. like, you're bringing a bucket of water to a house fire. Like there's these massive, massive billions of dollars in unfair tax concessions that you could be winding back instead. If you want our support then let's look at what is actually driving up these massive prices in the housing markets to the disadvantage of first home buyers and wind back these massive tax concessions that are denying millions of renters the chance to buy their home. Yeah, and just on how those those benefits are kind of skewed towards the, the top, even negative gearing, I think it's the 1.1 million people who negatively geared properties in 2020 to 21 received a tax benefit of $2.7 billion 80% of these people earning above the medium income and 37% being in the top income bracket. And as you say, that's then a huge chunk of money that's ripped from the budget. And as I understand it, what the Greens have said is we want you to yeah, phase out negative gearing and then use that money, that additional money in the budget to fund social housing, right? That's right. Fund social housing, fund a rent freeze, um, yeah. do the things that will make life better for the third of the country that rents and that may many of whom are also looking at trying to buy a first home. Like it is just like just take a step back. Like just so you, you've got a blank piece of paper. You're the prime minister. You've got like $30 billion a year to spend. What do you spend it on? Do you give it for, on housing? Do you give it to the top, to people who've already got multiple houses to go and buy more? Or do you spend it on people who are currently being locked out of the housing market and stop this crazy like, increase in house prices? Like it should. But and, and this is why like when you poke at this sort of um, this house of cards that they've got set up around this tax system that's been put in place by Liberal and Labor for ages to benefit those who've got lots of properties. When you poke at it, you can't justify it. Like you just can't yeah. justify it. It's not the best way of spending billions of dollars of public money. Spend it on a rent freeze. Spend it on building public housing. And yet Albanese has come back and said they have no intention to touch it. I mean, the ABC, I thought this was kind of funny in this article setting out the, the state of play at the moment. The ABC said the Greens opening bid is they want negative gearing scrapped and rents capped. The government's opening bid is that it won't negotiate. 
at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Albanese is out there saying that Max Chandler Mather, the housing spokesperson, is a student politician again. He loves saying that for some reason. And that like this this negotiation, what the Greens have put forward is juvenile tactics. Um, and I think that, you know, Max's response to that is pretty pertinent, that it's like, what the fuck is juvenile about saying that maybe we should be focusing our efforts towards supporting people who actually need a home, people who are struggling to keep a roof over their heads, as opposed to skewing our support towards people who already own fucking five properties and are in the top tax bracket. That's I don't understand what's juvenile about that. And I don't really know. I mean, do you think that that like resonates? Do you think that that is what ordinary people are seeing when thinking when they see what's happening here? Well, I think it's amazing that Labor thinks it's juvenile to say we want people who are currently locked out of housing to have more affordable rents and be able to buy a home. Like the you got 75% of the Labor Party has investment properties and in mm. The um, parliament, like historically, the whole debate over housing for many, many, many years has just been about uh, how do we support people who've got a home to go and buy another one, right? It's this massive, like treating housing as this kind of speculation and wealth creation strategy rather than a human right. And so for years now, Labor and Liberal together have backed this system that has pushed up house prices and has led to a housing and rental crisis. And they refuse to regulate rents with a rent freeze or a rent cap for much the same reason. Now, a third of the country rents, and um, there has just they they have not caught up. Labor and Liberal have not caught up with the fact that the housing market has changed to the point where people are in crisis. Like we shouldn't even be talking about it as a, you know, a market. Like it's a human right. And, and yeah. instead we're just saying we'll leave it all to, um, to property speculators and wealthy investors. Because they've been doing so well. <laughs> they've been doing such a good job of providing housing, right? <laughs> That's, well, this is right. And this is the thing. They say, oh, well, if you change negative gearing, then um, you might have l- landlords decide they've got to sell their places mm. and that means there's nowhere for people to rent. To who? <laughs> sell them to who? <laughs> Which say two things. Well, if they, if someone who's got their sixth property has to sell some of them, then they're probably going to sell them to a first home buyer. Um, and But secondly, what we know from the evidence is that over 90% of the properties that they um, that, that, that that they're getting these tax breaks on aren't new properties, right? They're existing properties. They're not increasing the yeah. total supply. Like it doesn't help with this. It's a myth. Like it's a myth. All it does is help people who've got lots of homes go, go and buy more. But this idea that it's somehow juvenile to say we need a proper look at our tax system and how we're spending billions of dollars of public money shows that they just don't get it, right? And part of the reason that we are going to push so hard over this year is that this has to be the year, 2024 has to be the year that the government has a rethink on these tax handouts for um, very wealthy property moguls and starts focusing on renters and first home buyers. And if they don't, I think they're going to pay at the ballot box, right? It may. Mm. I, I hope they change this year. But with a third of the country now renting and so many people locked out of affordable housing, I think people are going to have the chance to make their voice heard. And when the Prime Minister says, oh, you're just being juvenile, well, it's not juvenile to want to be able to afford to pay the rent or to be able to afford to buy a home if that's what you want to do. And the fact that they think it is and the fact that they think it's more important to defend the tax breaks to people who've got five houses to go and buy their six, I think is totally out of step with where so many people in the country are at at the moment. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, I mean, about paying at the ballot box, right? Because there's a perception in the kind of media and political class that negative gearing reform was one of the things that lost Labor the 2019 election. They say that, you know, even the mo- the modest proposal that Labor made back then, which was to, as I understand it, phase out negative gearing just for new properties, that that they were punished at the ballot box for that. Do you do you even buy that, or do you think that maybe that was true then, but it it's changed now? Like, do you buy this idea that negative gearing is political poison? No, I don't. And I think there's you you now have people who've even got who, who've benefited from this scheme over many years. In part, in part because people were told, oh, this is okay. This is a way of you know you might want to go and buy a property to invest for your retirement or whatever. People were encouraged into this. That's what the tax laws mm. did. 
you've now got parents saying, I think the system is broken and I'm worried that my kids are never going to be able to buy a place or even potentially rent near near the family, near where they work. Like there's, I think there are a lot of people now who understand that the system is broken and needs an overhaul and that whatever settings there were in the past have driven it um, to the point of crisis. And I think the crisis is now much, much worse than Labor you know, pretended with their small target approach. Um, you know, small, small target government will not fix these big problems. Um, but also, you know, I mean, the 2019 election, there are a bunch of other factors at play. You know, there were billionaires around basically buying the election, right? Like, let, let's, let's not forget what was going on during the course of previous elections, this idea that somehow that is what um, meant that they, that they lost, I think, is wrong. Um, but in any event, with whatever you're your, your view of that electoral history is like now now there's a crisis right and if you can change your mind on stage three because there's a cost of living crisis surely you can change your mind on negative gearing and capital gains tax because there's a housing crisis mm. Mm, yeah i haven't i don't know where you know what the most recent kind of polling is around this i'm sure there'll be more as this debate unfolds i do think it's really interesting this is one of the the issues on which i've seen the most significant like divergence along party lines in relation to people's support for phasing out negative gearing or even just changing negative gearing arrangements. And it really seems like there's really strong support um, for changing it from the Greens and a really strong opposition from from Greens supporters, sorry, and strong opposition from from coalition voters. I just think that's a very interesting insight into like the kind of, you know, class distinctions along party lines and but it'll it'll be perhaps more interesting to see now that this issue is actually being played out in the media and being given proper space for for discussion and we've got the greens bringing these matters to the fore how that might change over the next few weeks um do we know when this is likely to actually come to a head in parliament well, when we go to Parliament next week, they, they're going to debate it in the House of Representatives and then there's okay. the question of when it goes to the Senate. So we've got a week of no Parliament sitting and then we go back. So in, in the next two weeks, there's a chance for Labor to start to shift on on these massive tax concessions to the very wealthy. Uh, and I hope that they will shift their position and Although their starting point is, oh, we're not negotiating. That's what they've said on the housing legislation first time yeah. around, and we got an extra $3 billion. Um, I mean, one yeah. of the things that we've realised in this parliament is that Greens pressure works and the government will routinely say no. That's like they did on stage mm. three tax cuts. No, 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 no. Yes, like that's, yeah. that, that tends yeah. to be how um, how it works. And I think the public pressure on this, and you referred to the polls, like there's not, None of the polls are polls, right? But none of the polls that I've seen have a majority, like show a majority yeah. saying, yeah, keep the status quo. Yeah. Like there's like, yeah. and of course, you know, you get, get into the inner city or you get to younger people and, and the numbers are like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one who's being locked out. So, I mean, there's big regional housing crisis as well, but I'm just referring to the polls. And yeah. but none of the polls say, yeah, keep it the way it is. Like yeah, a majority right. support for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so because the green, like to be clear, when we say reform negative, uh, negative gearing, our proposal is to still allow negative gearing on one investment property, um, but not for others. Is that, is that right? That's what we put forward? Yeah. So the proposal that we took to the election was um, to say, well, look, for people who've bought and got one property, you would get be able to keep one and negatively gear it, but the door would be closed going forward in the future. And if you've got multiple properties, well, you're just going to have to have a think about your arrangement because like, one is the limit um, as to what you can have. And let's just like get rid of the capital, dis- gains, di- capital gains discount in its current form. And yeah. uh, that would bring in about an extra $7 billion a year, right? An extra $7 yeah. billion a year, uh, which could be spent on building public housing that could be spent on helping fund a rent freeze. Uh, but the like the, the total sum of like the um, the property tax concessions that are there is massive. Like we're, talk- we're talking about over $30 billion. And so um, we're now having a look at what what is the best way of, uh, given the housing crisis has got even worse since the last election, I guess our starting point to the government is 
whether it's the Greens position, whether it's something else, there's a number of models that can be put forward, but at least say you're going to rethink it, right? Because at least recognise the current system is broken and is locking people yeah. out of having affordable homes. And um, so, yeah, that is our that that is the policy we took to the election, yeah. but we're up for a discussion with the government and other people might have other ideas as well. But the starting point is, are you prepared to stop the handouts to people who've got five homes? Yep, seems reasonable. Or 283, like that guy called into Ben yeah. Ford, 283 <laughs> investment properties out of, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why should you get a government subsidy for that? Like, come on, like, like just seriously, yeah. something's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the stories that we tell and we are also the stories that we don't. We can choose to bear witness, to trust our eyes, to be wary of those who attempt to distort our humanity, to love with courage and lead with hearts so very lucky to be beating, to dismantle privilege, to centre the voices so relentlessly silenced by settler violence here on the stolen lands of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and globally. We can choose to radically reimagine ourselves, our community and our world. So let us please call action on that. Ceasefire now, Free Palestine. All right, the other thing yeah, we want to talk about, of course, is the uh, horrific situation in Gaza. Israel's genocidal war on Gaza continues. There is a lot going on this past week, and all of it is horrible. The death toll, Palestinian death toll, crossed 28,000 people, majority of whom are women and children. We've had more than 67,000 people wounded, I believe, on the latest figures. On Thursday night, Israeli forces carried out a raid on the NASA hospital in Khan Yunus. Of course, we've heard that Israel would never attack a hospital. They totally have. Medicines on Frontiers reported the hospital was shelled during, uh, despite the IDF telling medical staff and patients that they could remain there. Uh, we had this Israeli rescue operation in Rafah earlier in the week, um, which freed two Israeli hostages being held by Hamas. Simultaneous airstrikes killed 67 Palestinians. I think Israel's killed more hostages than it's freed through its military actions. It's released a number through diplomatic means. What do you know? But uh, at the moment, it's killed more than they've rescued. And, of course, the big story, we learned that Israel is planning a ground invasion, a military operation in the city of Rafah. Adam, obviously, all of this is horrible. The whole invasion and war has been hor- horrible. But uh, can you just lay out for us why it would be particularly disastrous and egregious for an attack on Rafah to be carried out. And what are the Greens saying about this? Yeah, so the, the, this is just catastrophic and the, the plans um, uh, will will lead to unimaginable slaughter. So like to, to remind people about what has happened since um, the attacks on October the 7th, the in Gaza, you've got 2.2 million people walled into an area that is half the size of Canberra, and uh, there's nowhere for for people to go. Like the borders are all policed, and 40% of that 2.2 million people are under the age of 15. So you've basically got a walled-in primary school in Gaza. And one of the things that we said at the time, because we were the only ones in Parliament to vote against the invasion, is that when you unleash a massive military invasion on a, a population that is like locked into that such a small area, you are going to get massive, massive loss of life and a humanitarian catastrophe, and that's what's happened. One of the things that's happened during the course of that invasion is that people have been told to move to the south of Gaza, which is where Rafa is, it's in the south. They've been told to move south because like large parts of the north have just been devastated and leveled and like they're uninhabitable. Um, there's there's no water to drink, the they're, they're running out of food, the health system is collapsing. So they've been pushed down into Rafa, which is kind of really close to the border with Egypt. And there's one and a half million people there. Uh, the population has massively swelled. It's being referred to as the world's largest refugee camp. And as one one minister said on the radio this week, you've got one and a half million people in an area the size of Heathrow Airport, right? So, like, this is you're talking about the most densely populated area on earth right now, where everyone's been told move there because um, we're bombing everywhere else. And now they're being told that they might be attacked there as well, right? That now the Israeli government is saying, and we're about to launch now an invasion on there. And there's already been 
um, shelling of the of the area there. The uh, um, the aid agencies are warning of a bloodbath. The um, one of the UN agencies has said if there is an attack on Rafa, we don't think that we could continue to operate anymore. Um, humanitarian assistance is like hard enough to get in at the moment, even though the International Court of Justice has said that it's Israel's responsibility to actually provide humanitarian assistance. We are still seeing people without food, without water and a health system that that is not functioning in many parts of Gaza. And there is now nowhere for these people to go. The border to the south is shut. Um, there's, uh, Israel is not letting them out in any other way and they are now being told that they might be attacked as well. Now, um, if this goes ahead, it will be a bloodbath, as um, as many aid agencies and commentators have said, and it has to be stopped and the invasion has to be stopped. And the government, our government this week, has made a critical comment and said, like a comment critical and of the Israeli military and said uh, that they shouldn't go and invade Rafah but they're still backing the invasion, right? Labor's still uh, backing the invasion. They're yeah. just saying attack somewhere else. Um, you know, they're just still backing the invasion um, of Gaza and we need the ceasefire because there is nowhere for people to go and the um, if you continue this attack, we're going to continue to see, like we've got almost 30,000 people killed already and it just has to stop. So it's it's, you know, finally people are waking up like far too late at senior government levels that this is what happens when you sanction and when you allow an invasion of a massively populated area. And I think the only logical thing they can do is if they think it's wrong to invade Rafa because there's going to be too high a level of civilian casualties, then the only logical next step is to stop backing the invasion full stop and to call for a permanent ceasefire. Yeah, it's it's maddening, right? I mean, a lot of urging, uh, a lot of, uh, oh, um, Israel should take care. It has a responsibility as a democratic nation to show care in relation to innocent civilians. That was from Anthony Albanese on Monday. He also did this joint statement with the prime ministers of Canada and New Zealand. In which, in which they're saying, oh, we need an immediate ceasefire. We need a humanitarian ceasefire. Like just a brief moment. Remember when that was the worst thing you could possibly say and that was almost that you would be dismissed as anti-Semitic if you were calling for a ceasefire, even though everything that the people who were calling for ceasefire initially has turned out to be the case, right? So all the warnings that were made about the disastrous consequences of this invasion and this onslaught on, on Gaza was has played out, right? So it would be proven correct. Uh, of course, we were dismissed as um, foolish hippies uh, a long time ago when we were calling for a ceasefire. But in that joint statement, it's interesting because they said, we need a sustainable humanitarian ceasefire. Any ceasefire cannot be one-sided. Hamas may lay down its arms and release all hostages immediately. So they appear to be calling for a ceasefire, but then these qualifications, which almost apply, undermine the same pressure they're trying to apply on Israel when it comes to actually stopping killing people, yeah. right? Yeah, and uh, that's those. it's the asterisk there. It's got to be a sustainable mm. ceasefire, which is what the government's been saying all along, which suggests mm. it's not actually a shift in position. Um, I mean, of course the hostages need to be released, but the point that's been made from the start is that uh, you you can't have collective punishment. It is a crime under international law to go and start bombing civilians in retaliation for the acts of others, and that is exactly what is still happening, which is why the ceasefire needs to be immediate and, and permanent because otherwise it is civilians who, um, who are going to die. And in terms of actions... But there's Australia could stop military exports to Israel, to the Israeli government and Israeli military. Like Australia is still exporting, um, providing military exports to Israel. They've they've tried to be very, um, uh, they they won't be clear about exactly what's in those exports, but we learned from Senate estimates during the week that that has even continued after October 7. And so so there's things that Australia could do very, very clearly. Um, and let's bear in mind too that this the, the, the Israeli war cabinet, like there, there are, it is a far-right government in Israel at the moment, a very extreme far-right government um, that makes the likes of, you know, one nation pale in comparison. Like if you're looking for domestic comparisons, you're talking about, 
um, some really extreme people who are in control of making the decisions there at the moment. And they're now subject to orders from the International Court of Justice to stop genocide, right? That is pretty serious. And uh, in that situation, there are things that Australia could be doing, including saying we're going to put sanctions on the ministers in that uh, extreme war cabinet that would actually start to send a really strong message rather than these words, these statements that always have a little asterisk next to them that allow for the invasion to continue. And and that's it, right? I mean, again, I, I totally agree with you. That is a that is what should happen. But to me, I find it very, very hard to imagine that a Labor government, either at the state or the federal level, would actually pursue any of those actions, would actually break ties or call for sanctions on Israel or end weapons exports, mainly because that would involve disagreeing with the US line, right? Like actually taking an independent foreign policy decision and saying, Look, this ally that we have has been found to potentially be uh, enacting a genocide. We should do something about that. We should change our actions in a material way, not just through stronger language or diplomatic relations, but actually, you know, do something that would affect their ability to carry out that potential genocide. I don't know. Do you do you seriously foresee that actually happening? Can that can we really well, imagine that I mean, being the case? You know, dis- distressingly, I think Labor has tied Australia closer to the US uh, and through the AUKUS arrangements um, where effectively our defence policy is being contracted out to the US and the, the, the sub- nuclear submarines turn, the, the part of the thing that was um, spruiked about them was that they're, very, they're long range and that's why we need to have them because these they can travel very long range. And so what does that mean? Well, that effectively means Australia is being ter- Australia's military is being turned into an offensive arm of whatever the next US war um, decides to be. And hmm. can I just note with that, like the like time, like removing Australia's ability to have its own independent independent foreign and defence policy is very worrying. Um, contracting it all out to the United States is, is also worrying. And then you think about what might happen at the United States election this year and the fact that Donald Trump might be back and the fact that Australia's, that Labor has handed over effectively um, the control of Australia's foreign policy and uh, defence policy through things like the AUKUS arrangement and the submarines to potentially to Donald Trump is quite distressing and is quite disturbing. And, um, but I mean, you know, coming back to, to the, uh, uh, so I would hope that at some point we do see Australia make start making decisions about what is in Australia's own interest and Australia can play a critical role here. Mm. We've seen a majority of the world's countries vote for a permanent ceasefire, like for an immediate ceasefire, not with the kind of asterisks that uh, Australia is putting next to it. And I think Australia would have a lot of um, support globally if it did take a more independent approach, but sadly... Labor seems to be going uh, down a different road. Uh, and I guess one last thing I'd say just on that I think is critical uh, about what is happening in Gaza at the moment is that as well as a permanent ceasefire, uh, this has to be the moment that the government's voice gets louder for an end to the occupation. Oh. Uh, this is mm. uh, There has been occupation of Palestine and Palestinian territories now that has, that has deprived people of rights and and the ability to live in freedom. And I think the only way that we're going to see full and lasting peace and justice for Palestinians and Israelis so that they can both have the equal um, security that they're entitled to under international law, but just as a matter of human decency, is with the occupation coming to an end. And uh, the this has to be a moment that I, I would like to see our government start talking about um, not only a permanent ceasefire, but for the occupation to end as well. Finally, on this, I guess, yeah, what works then? I mean, there's been some indication of, yes, some movement from figures, uh, things that were previously heresy have been widely accepted as this horrific situation unfolds. And a lot of that, I think, is down is to political pressure and rallies on the streets and international pressure and people speaking out. Um, what else would you recommend? People listening to this who are concerned, who care, who want to do stuff and take action, what should we be doing? Look, I think the, the, the public pressure is working. I think the public push for peace and the the marches 
um, that have uh, that have continued on week after week after week uh, are really starting to have an impact. And you know, I can tell you from being up inside, up in this building, we when Parliament went back, we moved a motion to um, say, like a really straightforward motion to say Australia's position needs to change and we need to stop backing the invasion and had quite a few um, people come up to me within the parliament and say, you know, good on you for doing this, like it's, it's, it's good. And I, th- I feel like people are feeling the pressure, the public pressure that actually Australia should, need, should stop backing the invasion. Did they vote for it, the people who come up to you? Some did. Some did, yeah, yeah. Some did, okay. and um, but like, it's, I think it's a sign that mm. many people know that the current position is unsustainable, and yeah. like the, and I think that's that's good because again, it's like from, I guess I just want to report, I guess a bit from sort of the inside of what it's like in the mm. chamber to the people who are doing the like the, these public peaceful protests that it's working, like people are noticing what is going yeah. on, and you 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 um. Like it, it can be hard to sometimes know whether anything is having an impact, but I think what people are doing at the moment is having an impact and I think continued presence and continued support to call for that permanent and immediate ceasefire uh, is growing and is important. And, um, you know, it is now, like it is a broad spectrum of community opinion that is now saying we need a ceasefire. Like I think it's, it's I, I don't know what... Um, um, I haven't seen polls on it or anything, but I do think like there is from people that I talk to, there is a broad section of community opinion that says we should not be back in the invasion. And uh, even if, yeah, even if the le- Labor leadership and the official party line at the moment means that they're voting against, you know, Greens motions for, for a ceasefire um, and have a really inadequate position right now, you would hope that some of those people who might be coming up to you behind the scenes are maybe also in labor meetings in caucus meetings saying this is something that I'm you know I'm getting this feedback from my community and maybe we should shift our stance a little bit and obviously we have our critiques of you know the the merits and the viability of change from within in in an institution like the labor party but one thing that we do know does work is political pressure because that translates to elect- electoral pressure and that's what labor cares about so yeah. i think you're right it does make a difference yeah. If you listen to this on the day it comes out, there is a rally today at 12 p.m. at the State Library in Melbourne if you're in Nam, as has been on every um, Sunday. And a huge shout out to people who keep organizing, turning up for that, and um, the sit in Tafada as well that's happening on the steps of uh, the, the, um, the State Parliament. Um, you can always go to the APAN website, apan.org.au. There's got a list of events, including rallies and lots of other ac- ac- actions that are happening around the country in solidarity with Palestine. But I think that's our time with you, Adam. Thank you very much for coming back on the show, mate. We appreciate it very much. And please keep fighting the good fight and saving us all. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Look, after, you know, just finished two weeks in Parliament, so it's actually a pleasure to have like, a really enjoyable and sensible conversation. It makes it, it makes a nice, nice change for the last couple of weeks. Thank you. Just quietly, you know, if you could uh, hook us up with Abby Chatfield as well, because we know your mates and we would uh, <laughs> love to have her on the show. So maybe we can talk. Maybe we can talk there. <laughs> no worries. I'll try, try and find another event to run into her at. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Cheers, right. mate. <laughs> Thank you. Another quick call to action, in Amy McMahon's honour, you would probably know her from fighting against the massive GABA demolition and rebuild in Brisbane in preparation for the 2032 Olympics that would require the destruction of a local state school and also a local park for a warm-up track. Um, There have been some developments on this recently because after years of campaigning from the Greens and the locals, then suddenly the LNP decided to come on board and say maybe we need to rebuild, rethink this project, sorry. And then Labor, with the new Premier, came in and said, yeah, maybe you're right, even after spruiking it for years, maybe we'll do a review. And he's now saying, oh, I think actually there is a better option that we should come up with. But they still 
haven't completely backed away from it yet, haven't said that they're going to protect the school and the park and ditch this GABA rebuild. So it was first week back at Queensland Parliament this week. Amy, I know, had plans for like a big week of action around the GABA. Um, unfortunately, wasn't able to, to lead that herself. But in her honour, if you can, if you have time, this is a $2.7 billion fucking project, massive amount of, of money. It's literally to knock down a stadium and rebuild it for this one fucking event, the Olympics, in the middle of a housing crisis, a cost of living crisis, way better ways to spend that money and not close schools. So call Stephen Miles' office. We'll put the number in the show notes. But tell him you want you know, want the government to call off that, that GABA rebuild project, be clear about it, saying that they're going to protect the school and the park. Really interesting piece in The Guardian about this. So apparently Denver backed out of hosting the Olympics back in the 50s or 60s or something, Denver, Colorado. And ever since then, there's a clause in Olympic contracts that says cities can't pull out. Like like the organizing committee, mm. the IOC, can cancel the Olympics in a city, but a city cannot say we're not going to do the Olympics. <laughs> so it's just The IOC is <laughs> fucked as an institution. Awful. Like this is the thing that, I mean, the Greens still, and we've spoken about this, again, if you want to go back to when Amy, Amy was on the show and we spoke about do we support the Olympics at all? Yes. Are we fun haters if we don't? But I still just don't. I I just don't know if the uh, the Olympics committee as an institution is capable of delivering an event that I could support. They just seem so cursed. Evil. Although they, the IOC vice president John Coates apparently is also saying, yeah, Gab is probably yes. not going to happen. It's on the nose. We're we're backing out. That's right. There's this escalation of people being like, oh, maybe right, because everyone realized that people fucking hate it. Can you talk to any normal person? They're like, why? Why would you do this? <laughs> Um, episode 58 of Serious Danger is when Amy McMahon joined us. If you want to hear more about her laying out the case as to why that sucks so much. Another quick little plug for SA Danger Dogs. I'm going to be at the South Australian Greens Dunstan campaign launch on Sunday, February 25th from 2.30 p.m. It's happening at the Republic in Norwood. I'm in town for the Fringe and I'm going to be going along there. The Greens candidate Katie McCusker is going to be there campaigning to turn Dunstan green. This is the seat that... Um, What's his face? The Liberal Premier, Stephen Marshall, he's retiring, so they're having a by-election, and the Greens are actually in with a decent chance. Um, Katie's mm. going to be there. Greens, MLCs, Tammy Franks, and Robert Sims will be there as well. I'll be emceeing, telling a few jokes, having a few laughs, and uh, we'd love to see any South funny. Australian danger dogs. What? Well, I'm not I said give... better be funny. Well, I'm saying I'm not going to get paid, so it doesn't matter if I'm not, so it's actually fine. But oh, we'll... it doesn't matter. You're only, yeah. Is that why you're not very funny on this show? Because I'm paying you? <laughs> I'm in the Quarters Club for you, all right? Everyone should sign up to the Patreon so we can earn enough to pay Tom to finally be funny on the podcast. The RSVP link is in the show notes. Thank you for bearing with us. Sorry we're in the Quarters Club. Thank you, Adam Bad. Thank you to all our patrons. Follow us on social media at SeriousDangerU. Send us a message anytime you like. Hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. I choo-choo-choose you. Serious Danger, Australia. All right, I'm going to have some champagne and cocaine.